Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday Morning Envy Pro Call. Today is December 7th, and I'd like to welcome those of you that are here live, as well as those of you listening to this via recording, which, of course, you can do by subscribing to Motivitality on whatever podcast application you happen to use, or by visiting motivitality.com, where you can listen to years and years and years worth of archives. Um, definitely love having you guys on live, though. It's, uh, I always appreciate the discussions, um, and, and uh, sometimes... Sometimes we we get we have the discussions like last week. If you caught last week's call, either live or via recording, we could have used another 20 minutes or or even another half hour to continue to have that discussion. It was it was uh, just starting to get good, but um, I definitely appreciate the discussion and the the um, interaction with you guys when we're on here live. So thank you very much. Um, Okay, so I'm going to start the call off the way I do pretty much every week, which is by asking, is there anything anybody learned this last week that you wish you had known before? Anything that happened that's worthy of sharing with other professionals across the country or anything we can help you with? Anybody have anything? I believe, you know, I will interject, and I know I do that a lot. Sorry. Um, No, I love it. Thank you. When you're in a home, when you have a salesperson in the home, and you see stuff out of the ordinary, you, I find it a, a very, very good idea to get additional testing done on the water supply. We had one come back to, to bite us a little bit from an install in May, and I generally review all of the work going across. I don't know how I missed it, but um, we should have sent something off to a laboratory because now I have to backtrack and explain to the customer what actually we are seeing in in, in a Are you able to give an example of that, Paul? Uh, Extremely high TDS, extremely high hardness, extremely high chlorides. Um, The only way that we're going to be able to solve this person's problem from all of the the mayhem the water is creating, you know, we went with an iron filtration system, a softener, and and a reverse osmosis system, but we're talking a residential reverse osmosis system on levels that high. Yeah. It's going to fail, and and we're not we're not serving them any justice in regards to the equipment that was that was applied. So I, I do have. What were your TDS levels, just out of curiosity? Uh, Twenty five sixty. Yeah. Uh, chlorides were um, fifteen hundred. Um, right. I'm dealing with a brackish water. And, and yeah, brackish water, and that's uh, right. I ran into that. So you're in Michigan, also. I remember the first time I saw that, and there, I, you know, you kind of learn geographically where you might run into that when you work in the territories. You know, if you see it, but there was twice in my sales career where where I had customers that it, it ended up not being economically feasible. You know, and it, I felt horrible for the customer because they, you know, they bought this property. They you know, they built this house. They had the house 75% done before they dug the well, you know, and, right. and and they were, you know, and then they're kind of screwed with this water. And it's like, you know, do you end up, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you like ship water in? Actually, one customer, that's in what they ended up doing. They were significantly higher than what you're talking about at 2,500. They, they, they were like at 9,000 parts per million and the water tasted salty. I mean, you could, you could yeah. taste the, the amount of salt in it, and and uh, you know, so you couldn't even put in a, 
I mean, you, you know, just it just was not economically feasible for them to. So then they're they're having to dig a new well. But if they dig a new well, do they run into the same problem? You know, or do they? You know, that digging a new well doesn't always make it better. Sometimes it can make it worse. That person ended up putting in a tank and and having to get a special permit and have water shipped in. They had to bring once a once a month. They had to have a tanker truck full of water come and and fill this tank up. And that's what they they had their water yeah. with, almost like a cistern. And I, yeah, I agree with you. You you run into that, and this highlights the importance of testing the water too. And it sounds like your your team did a good job of testing the water, but but um, it it does it is important to test that water and know what you're doing ahead of time. You know, and it's also I think I mean there's your little anecdote right there, Paul. It, I think it there's a lot of things that it screams evidence of like. Being aware of, you know, this is what makes us different than the one-size-fits-all companies that are out there, the ones that are going out there and they're working out of their garage or, the, you know, they're just throwing something in and they don't understand anything about water chemistry or the impact of the stuff. You know, it's just a, you know, they bought it from a from a supplier and they left it at their factory defaults and they went out there and put it in. You know, that's just the, we those are co- those are the companies out there. I mean, so your your story. Uh, you're right. It's great advice. We got to test the water, but we also have to recognize what those tests are telling us. It's not a one size fits all on this equipment. It's what makes us experts versus, you know, just people slapping in equipment. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. So funny, this was brought up last night. I was at a house, and the they're renting equipment from another company. The equipment's several years old, but it should still be working. But one, it's not working. Two, they've been out, the other company's been out three times, tested the water, says everything's great. Everything in her house is stained orange. I opened up the back of the toilet. I'm telling you, it is probably one of the worst cases of some kind of bacteria I've ever seen in the back of that toilet. Um, The water, I mean, the whole black of the inside of the tank was totally black and slimy. So I think it's a combination of sulfate-reducing and um, slime bacteria. But I told her, I said, I'm going to be real honest. I'm not going to truly quote anything until we get a water test. Yeah. And I said, and supposedly they had, when they bought the house in the past year, they had a lab test done that they spent about 300 bucks on. She's going to try to get me a copy of that today. And I said, yeah. at least let's start with that. If if there's if it's not covering what we need, I said we really need to spend that money on a lab test so you can have good water. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's right. It was, By I, the way, go ahead. Go ahead. Casey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I have not seen a back of a toilet tank this bad ever. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I, yeah, I I run across that too, and that's um. Yeah, exactly. I, I do want to point out, like, just a technical thing that you said, as I, I should have kind of done this before. When you have high chlorides, like Paul's talking about, in the water, uh-huh. that makes it really, for um, for those of you listening that, that may not understand the impact, remember that that resin inside of a water softener carries a, a, a negative electrical charge, right? That's what attracts uh-huh. the calcium out of the water. When you have mm-hmm. really high chlorides in the water, chlorides also carry a negative electrical charge. And and so what you have 
are the negatively charged chlorides in the water competing with the negatively charged calcium, or I'm sorry, the negatively charged resin beads in the water, and and it makes it really difficult to to soften the water because of that. Um, in terms of a reverse osmosis, when you're at 2,500, most residential ROs um, at max at 2,000, I mean, most of them are lower than that. Most of them are like 1,000 or 1,200, but there are some that will, you know, will allow all the way up to 2,000 um, parts per million of total dissolved solids. But if you remember, you know, how reverse osmosis works, that means that before you ever start making any water, you've got approximately uh, 20 PSI of osmotic pressure that you've got to reverse. Well, if you've got a TVS at 2,500, you've got an approximately, you know, 25 PSI that you have to reverse in order to produce any water at all. Um, and that number is going to go up and up and up as you fill the tank up to the point of you've got a well only giving you 40 to 60 PSI to begin with, you're just not going to make any water or, or very little water, um, not to mention the fact that even at a at a 90% rejection rate, you're still going to have, you know, pretty high TDS. Yeah, so then that's where you What's that? Like 100 to 200 at that point. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. Right. And so that's where you look at – you have to look at treatment trains. You have to do it to look at – you know, they, they have brackish ROs out there or brackish membranes, brackish water membranes that will – that will t- take the water down to, you know, 500 parts per million, and then you you run it through a, a regular RO after you've removed that. I mean, that's one way to do it, you know. So, but it does require, you know, more than just your standard treatment. You've got to, and, and that that still doesn't address the, you know, often when you have TDS that high, you also have really high hardness in the water many times, and now it becomes really difficult with the, your traditional ion exchange to get soft water. Um, so it's it's uh, you know it, it it does pose its challenges for sure, and that's that's why I mean I'd start with your WQA certification, but even without the certification, just know you know understand how this stuff works so that you know how to to deal with those things when when you come across them. That's a great one, Paul. Thank you, and Stacy, thank you. I, I, this, that's what I love about this industry. I do have to say that. You never know what you're going to walk into. This is not just this boring job that's just the same thing every house. I mean, every every situation, every family, every house, every water sample, it's they're always different, and, and you just never know. It's like a it's like a mystery every time you walk in, you know. It, and it just keeps it exciting, in my opinion. It, it does not get boring if you're if you're really knowing what you're doing. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but I I just love hearing those things. It's like, ah, oh, how do we solve this one? You know, it does get frustrating when you have to do it after the fact, though, Paul. You're right about that, and every single one of us have had to deal with that. So I wouldn't beat yourself up over it because it it you know we are human. But anybody else? I wanted to point out one thing, and I think we're going to make a topic of this. Um, Nicole, are you on the on the call? Yeah, I'm here. I always it seems like every week we're putting you or Joe or Kayla on the spot. <laughs> you're our, you're kind of our our um, current MV pros. You know the the people that we're working with. I just wanted to highlight something that happened with you this week on one of the sales that you made, um, and I because and I think that we are going to do a topic, a whole topic on this coming up in the future. But um, one of the things that so impressed me, you. 
you went into a home last week. The, the people had equipment in the home. They were renting it, and um, it wasn't working. Basically, it was not set properly. Essentially, it was it just wasn't um, regenerating enough. And so we did, you know, pretty thorough plumbing assessment. I think you were like the third person out there, right? They had had a few people out before you. Yeah, they had uh, Colgan out. And yeah, we can't say names. We're not going to talk names. No, oh, no, sorry. no company names. <laughs> so we, we tried to stay away from the, you know, company products or, or com- you know, names of. But yeah, they. So there had been a couple people out there. It was interesting. One of them, one of the people that had come out, clearly were using scare tactics with the people and talking about contaminants that were that are just highly unlikely to be in city water that that don't show up on any of the consumer re- confidence reports or anything like that, right? But. But um, but the difference you were so you were the third person out, and um, and uh, and instead of just immediately trying to sell them something new, you took a, you really did a plumbing assessment and and you know, followed the plumbing, tested the water before and after, made an adjustment on the system that they had wasn't your system, made an adjustment on the system they had, and then instead of trying to push them into buying something that night. What did you do the next day? Um, I texted the husband because he was working, so I let him know everything that I did, and then I asked to come back out and retest the water um, the next morning just to make sure that what I, the adjustments I had made fixed the problem. And did it fix it? It did. And then, But then what did they do because of that? Uh, he asked me to bring all the information that I had on our softeners and RO systems and to bring financing options, rental options, and just purchasing options uh, with me when I came back the following morning. And they ended up purchasing, right? Yes, they did. They ended up yeah. purchasing. So this – I love – this story. I I love this experience because it, it's something that I talk about a lot and I hope that you guys are I know that many of you on this call already are aware of this, but if you're if you're listening to this, our our job I believe so at the core of my soul that that sales should be way more about giving, way more about serving people, way more about helping people than just getting that quick sale. And what you did out there, Nicole, I think it just I think it highlights that as well as any any experience you could have. You went out there not with this immediate intention of just getting this sale like like the the it sounds like the people that had come in before you may have done um, and instead really looked at ways to help them and and as a result they stopped renting from the other company they were renting from and purchased a system from you. Um, so you were the third person out there. The other two, you, there were two people out there that had the opportunity to do something similar uh, before you, and and it was because of your your attitude of giving more than taking, of not just going out there to get this sale that made the sale. And it, it may seem counterintuitive, right? I mean, we're not professional visitors, and we have to understand that. We can't just go out there and and give, do free service calls for every customer we go to. But but going out there and recognizing that 
you know, that we're going to help people, that it's about helping people, that it's about giving more than taking, that is how you generate the referrals. It's how you generate the, the creative leads. It's how you generate the the income. And and honestly, I think it's how you sleep at night. It's how I slept at night. You know, it's trying to help people. I, I just I, – I love that you had that experience so early in, in your career here. Um, and I just thought it was worthy of discussing. So – um, you have anything you want to add to that, or do you agree, or do you do you feel like oh, it's just to say, oh, Kelly, shut up, right? <laughs> no, I I 100% agree. Um, you know, it's nice to to be in sales, but it's it's a totally different sales tactic. I love that I got to go in there and I didn't have to try to sell them. I just wanted to fix the problem because there were health concerns um, with this one, so. Yeah, no, I I thought it was a great experience. Yeah. So, um, anybody else have any comments on that or thoughts on that? So we we only have about twelve minutes left to talk about the topic I wanted to talk about, and and uh, which is awesome because it's been kind of an interesting call so far, in my humble opinion, but. Um, uh, we're not going to be able to go into as much detail as I wanted to about our topic, but I did want to kind of maybe I can get you guys to, you know, to leave the call today, kind of giving some thought and thinking about it a little bit. And this was this this topic stemmed from a conversation Nicole that I had with you and Joe uh, a couple of days ago, um, but it reminded me of a, I went down. It's been I don't know ten fifteen years ago. I went down and worked with a, a client um, in uh, in Florida. And I was writing with their salespeople uh, just to kind of do an assessment and figure out um, what, uh, you know, how we could help them. And I met one of the salespeople. Now, this was a company that this was uh, in and around Orlando. um, And it was a company that had, they were just supplying like tons of leads. Uh, I mean, they had a sales team that, uh, that, um, were just taking house leads, and their the, the turnover on their sales team was really high. I mean, it, it would the average person. He had, you know, I was riding with a guy that had been there about about you know six seven months, and he was one of the ones that had been there the longest. But they just had this huge turnover, and I mean, it's a big team. They had like I don't remember twelve or fifteen salespeople. But I went and I met with this guy. Um, met him at the office at 7.30 in the morning. He got started at 7.30. That They had a policy where all the salespeople had to come into the office to start off, and then they distributed leads. And we had four leads that day. And I don't remember exactly how it went, but the gist of it was that we left at 7.30 and had to drive about an hour and a half to our first, to our first appointment. Um, we were in there for just over an hour, from there, we had to drive over two hours to get to our next appointment. From there, we had to drive uh, another hour and a half or so. Anyway, long story short, with these four appointments, one of whom didn't show up, by the way, they it was a, uh, you know, these were all house leads and they were stacked, but we were zigzagging all around. And at the end of the day, I, I ended up getting back to the hotel that night at about eight o'clock. It was a very long day. Um, and at the end of the day, we had spent about three hours in front of customers 
and well over eight hours driving to those customers. And that was so uh, counterintuitive to me. I mean, no wonder they had just huge turnover. The salespeople were driving their own vehicles. Um, they did get gas reimbursement on it. But first off, house leads, I always hated house leads when I was in sales because they, they don't close as well. I mean, even if you're really good, you can expect, you know, it's on average probably a 60 or 70% closing ratio, which to me was, I guess that's that's not bad. But when I because most of what I did in sales was creative, I I was used to closing 80 to 90%. And, and also not having to drive because I stayed within my territory. You know, I... I um I stayed stayed local, and uh, and so you know if I had two or three hours between an appointment, I could run home and you know or or uh, you know and grab lunch or do something you know local or canvas or whatever. I wasn't like like driving all over the place, but but that was um it was just craziness. I mean, no wonder they had the turnover because people were getting burnt out. They were working ten twelve hour days every day for for these maybes, you know, the miles in their car, just everything. And, and, um, you know, so they were just, uh, just a different, different style. When I was, um, in sales and the companies that, that we work with, we really try and eliminate that kind of, that kind of process. Um, windshield time will kill you. I mean, if you're spending eight hours in the car driving from appointment to appointment, especially house leads, you just it's going to burn you out um and you're not talking to customers during that eight hours you know it you're not spending time out there and and what are you going to do about follow-ups you know we talked about follow-ups last week it's impossible for you to get in there and have a follow-up program it, it that way because you just you can't number one you can't keep up with it right you make a sale you're not going back out there to do an in-person follow-up that's two hours away in, in a completely opposite direction from where your appointments are. So one of the things that, that I recommend doing now, if you're a salesperson, you're listening to this and this is the way your company's set up. I mean, there, there are conversations that you can have um, with your owner. If you want to, you want to kind of stay focused. What I would, now, if you're one of those salespeople that's relying on house leads, you got to kind of go where they tell you to go. But if you want to make yourself a, a, a sales professional and actually begin to create business, you've got to develop relationships within a certain area. It's better to work a little territory a lot than a lot of territory a little. So that's where I would pick one zip code, just one zip code, maybe close to where you live, where your kids go to school, where you grocery shop something like that, and I would go to your boss or go to your company, and I would ask them if if you can work in that zip code, if you can stay in or around that zip code, say on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You know, send me everywhere I need to go, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'll drive, you know, I'll run those house leads. I'll continue to do all that. But I would like to develop a territory. I'd like to, if you give me the zip code and any leads that come out of that, give give me those you know, give me those leads. I will work to bring business, to create business out of those zip codes. And I would I would begin to work that zip code. You know, that's where you go in and you build relationships with the appliance stores. You you build relationships with with builders. You you get involved in the schools. You know, you volunteer 
in the school. I mean, I've talked about this on this call before that because I stayed in my territory and I worked in only in my territory, I, I was volunteer of the year four times in a 10 year period for, for the community school system. Um, and, and it was great. You know, I'd go in and teach junior achievement or volunteer in the school during the day. And then I'd, I'd have an appointment in the evening and I'd, I'd walk in the house and the kid would go, Mr. Thompson, the parents would look at the kid and go, you know him? And I'd, I'd say, yeah, I gave him candy at the bus stop. Um, but uh, no, they did, but it was also, it just, it gave credibility, right. To, to be able to go into the, the schools there and, and to be involved in the community. And it just, it made people realize that I wasn't just a sales guy. It also kept me aware of the, the issues in that community, you know, so I could, I was able to, to know what was happening in the community. If you're driving all over the place and, you know, hours between appointments, it's really hard to know what's what people are talking about in that community not only about the water all the water is important but also you know what are they what are they voting on at the village council meetings you know or the the city council meetings what are they talking what is the buzz locally you know it's in but eventually when you're working in those those areas you're going to start to develop those relationships and earn referrals and and you know Nicole your scenario here if that had happened you know, if you had been two hours away from your territory, there's no way you would have, it just wouldn't have been feasible for you to go back and do what you did, you know, to, because to return that next day and go do that, you know, you cannot do that if all you're doing is running, is chasing house leads and driving, you know, hours between, between calls. Um, and so it is, it's just a different type of sale. I think it's a difference between a sales professional and a salesperson. You know, a lot of salespeople out there just chasing house leads and, and, and doing that. If we want to really create our own business and create job security and become valuable to our companies and, and become sales professionals, it requires taking control and actually going out there and developing that business. Okay, so I'm almost out of time here, and, and I'm rambling about this. And like I said, there's a lot more I want to say about this on how to go about doing it and who to talk to and stuff like that. But but what are your thoughts? Any any thoughts on this? Any comments on this? You guys are inviting me to ramble some more. Yes, of course we are. Um, What's that? Of course we're inviting you to ramble some more. Um, I, I literally had my territory before I was where I'm at. I did school fundraising for 13 years in the exact same territory. So I know the area. One, I live in part of the area, but I know my two areas really, really well. And it's always nice when somebody moves to the area and you can talk about things, give them ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I was yeah. working at craft festival for a networking group this weekend and saw one of my new customers. They stopped yeah. to chat. Isn't that awesome? I uh-huh. love that, that I would run into my customers at the, you know, and, and I love that I had the, a good enough relationship with them that I didn't have to mm-hmm. hide behind, you know, <laughs> yeah. when they came, right? That you mm-hmm. could talk to it with pride, you know, I love that feeling. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they said they had tried one of the restaurants I recommended the night before, and they absolutely yeah. loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's, it, it just makes it more fun, too, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Because yeah. I would actually go out and go to dinner and hang out with those people. 
Yeah. Oh, it, um, it's, you do have... Not I that I will, but they, I would. Yeah. My, mm-hmm. my best friend is somebody I became friends with would, um, by, I, I sold them, him and his wife a reverse osmosis system and, and had known them casually uh, prior to that, um, but we really became friends. I sold them a reverse osmosis and I stood in their foyer for three hours the night I sold it to them and, and we just became, you know, very best friends. That was 25 years ago, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you do meet people that way. Who else? What else? Last last couple minutes here. What are what are what are everybody else's thoughts on this topic? Anybody else? So there are ways, and, and like I said, there are ways to develop. If you're wondering about, you know, how you how you do that, how you um, uh, you know develop that territory. You know, where do you start? Well, that's that's a different topic. You know, how do you start? Where do? Okay, so yeah, my boss gave me this territory. I got the zip code that they're going to let me work out of. They, I made a commitment to them that I'm going to bring them X amount of of leads and sales out of this territory. And in exchange, they gave me three months to, you know, to to, you know, to lock in this territory, right? And that's what I would do. I go and give me three months, and I will bring you business out of this territory. You know, if I can do that, and I, most owners and managers if you're offering to bring them business paul you own a or you're you're a manager of a company if you had a salesperson that committed to bringing you a certain number of creative leads would you give them a chance to do that i certainly would um yeah i've got some goals for my guys coming up in 2024 and there will be some requirements in regards to that we provide a lot of leads um they need to become a little bit more active in this community that they are all servicing. And yeah. I would have no issue with them focusing on areas. Um, business is good, but it can always be better. Absolutely. Well, and I'll tell you the company that I, that I serve, and I kind of have to wrap it up here with this, but, you know, to your point, when I was, I was regional manager for a dealership um, in 2008, when the economy really started to crash, you know, and, um, prior, actually in Michigan, you, you're aware, Paul, you're here in Michigan, the economy really started to crash way before, several years before everybody else did in the country. So by 2008, we here, we here in Michigan, because the automotive, you know, industry and, and stuff like that, it was already hurting here um, for several years prior to that. It really started around 2004, 2005, in fact, here. And all these companies were closing up. Houses were being foreclosed on. You had all these out-of-the-garage companies that were closing. We, the company that I served um, as manager for, we were doing really well because we were creating most of our own business. And so you want to survive those those economic downturns when advertising is no longer working, when the phone's not ringing develop a team of, of salespeople that create their own business. You want you as a sales professional, you want job security, create those relationships so that you have that steady stream of, of referral sources and business coming in. And when everybody else starts closing down because advertising is not working anymore and salespeople are abandoning them, those companies or they're not making sales, all those customers that are still buying stuff, they're going to come to you, which is what happened with us at, at the company that I, that I worked with. So, all right. Um, any any last words? <laughs> last words. We provide a lot of leads to our to our sales team. 
um, a, a, a generous amount of leads. At that point in time, and I'm not beating up on salespeople, please don't think that I'm doing that. They become more order takers at that point in time instead yep. of becoming that true sales professional by getting yep. themselves out into their communities and becoming more well-known uh, to, to create some of those self-gens. I think salespeople love the money. They love the feeling, though. Of the yeah, relationships yeah. That, that you know, I think that the feeling is even better than the money. The money is always great, but you know, the, the gratification of what they did accomplish as they as they go down this path. Yeah, agreed. It is a high, that's for sure. And, and the, every salesperson on this call will know that it it just feels good. It's it's like a drug. Yeah, it's a high. So. All right, and on that note, we are we're actually over a little bit. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate the participation um, and the call. So thank you very much, everybody. Have a great great weekend. Uh, we will talk to you next week, if not before. So thank you, everybody. Thank Thanks. you.